it's always really a tough question when friends and family and, and folks that we meet ask, you know, oh, what type of music do you make? It's like, I should have a better answer for this. Hello and welcome back to the Ear Fuel Podcast. As always, I'm Joel Freemark, and you can follow me on Twitter at, at the Daily Guru and at Get Ear Fuel. The podcast is always available in the iTunes and Google Play stores under Ear Fuel and at GetEarFuel.com. What you heard there at the top was part of my chat with Kia from the group Ghost and the City. They are an amazing, kind of undergroundish group from San Francisco, and we talked about the unique music scene in that city, problems with labels in every sense of the word, and so much more. We're going to get to that right after a quick album review. The record I want to look at today, and this is really cool to say this, is the new release from John Coltrane. It's called Both Directions at Once. I'll admit that I'm always hesitant when it comes to posthumous releases because I really wonder whether the artist in question would have wanted that music out there. And, and I'll tell you, I'm really struggling with the upcoming Prince release on this because so much music you have to say, well, wait, why didn't they give that to the public? Did they not feel it was complete? Was there somewhere else they wanted to go with it? I don't know. So I'm always wary of posthumous releases. Also, to be honest, in these sorts of releases, it's usually subpar stuff that probably should have been left in the vault or on the editing room floor. You know, it's it's the sort of stuff that can kind of tarnish someone's legacy. And yeah, that's what really tends to bother me about these releases. However, every once in a while, something truly unique and special comes along. And that's exactly what the case is with this posthumous release. Have I said posthumous release enough? Eh, maybe a couple more times before we're done. We'll see. So, March 7th, 1963. A lot of people know this date well because it's the date that Coltrane and his classic quartet of Elvin Jones, McCoy Tyner, and Jimmy Garrison were in the studio recording the Coltrane record with Johnny Hartman. That record's a personal favorite of mine. Everyone should own it. We'll talk about that one some other time. But... Recently, we as the jazz universe learned that the day before, the quartet did an all-day studio session, and the master tape was, and I'm not kidding here, destroyed when Impulse Records was trying to cut down on storage space. I, I want to know who said, yeah, you know what, we need more space. Let's, let's just dump those Coltrane tapes. Apparently, though, John Coltrane had given a copy of that recording to his wife, and for some reason, again, so much weird unknown behind this one, it went unmentioned and unnoticed for half a century. Now, as a Coltrane fanatic, which I am, I can tell you that for my money, the years 1959 to 1964, those are the prime Coltrane years as far as I'm concerned. So to have a gift like this, I was a little bit more than very excited. And after listening to just the first few minutes of it, it's obvious that my excitement was well justified. This record is phenomenal. These are true unreleased tracks for the most part. Some don't even have names at all. They just wrote it as, you know, uh take whatever and just numbers on it. I really dig that they didn't try and force a name on anything. 
the band, it goes without saying about this, the quartet are completely locked in. This may have been the best year of recording that the classic Coltrane Quartet ever did. I, I will argue that, that this was their best year. They're, they're almost in a trance. They are so in sync with one another, and these songs just fly. I really dig the variations on Vilia, and I mean, from end to end, this is some of the best jazz you're going to find. And even when they slow things down, and, and for people who really dig Coltrane, you know, there, there are those slower, almost more introspective moments that can just be just as good as something like, a, you know, the title track to Giant Steps or something like that. The track on here called Slow Blues is an absolute scorcher. It might be the best track on the collection. I, I don't know. I haven't had enough time with it, but that one really, really stood out. I will say this. It's a two LP or two CD set, depending on how you buy it. The first of those is really the guts of this. It's it's extraordinary jazz performance that I really think anybody can get into. The second disc or LP, though, I think it's actually more for Coltrane fanatics or freaks because... It, I don't know. When I was listening, I was thinking that I don't think casual listeners can get into it as easily. It's actually three takes on the track Impressions and then other takes uh, from songs found on the first record. So don't feel like you have to sit through the whole 90 minutes to understand what's going on here. I would I would start with the first disc. And if you really dig it, check out the second. I will say also, if you're looking for an entry point into the world of jazz or to John Coltrane, I still think Blue Train and Giant Steps are the ideal starting places but if you're a fan of either of those records, this is an album you must check out. I can't, I can't stress that enough. It's perfect audio of one of the greatest jazz musicians in history, one of the greatest musicians in history, at his peak, in his element, with his most accomplished backing band. Go check this one out for sure. Moving on. Ghost and the City blend together funk and jazz and blues and soul and rock and electronic and I mean sort of everything into this outstanding sonic blend that you are going to fall in love with. So, you know what? I'm not even going to say anything else about it. Let's get to know more as I chatted with Kia, who's the voice of the group. But I'm a Whoever needs their mayonnaise, that's where they're getting it from, I think. I, I mean, th- there's a market for, for everything. There, right? If people can sell artisanal mayonnaise, there is a market for everything. Hey, if people can sell artisanal mayonnaise, maybe I can sell this album. Right? right. You know, well, well, you know what? Look, I, I love the album. And, and so, you know, do you, you? Oh. I do like I, I, I love it because you can just really just kind of settle in with it in a really, really cool way. Like I just it. Yeah, uh, that that's why we're having the conversation, because of how much yeah. I dig the record. Um, cool. You Thank guys self you. You, you self release this, right? We did. Yeah, we self we self selfed a lot of things. Uh, yeah. A DIY is the way to go. Is, is it because you felt like having a label these days is a hindrance or like, did you feel it was unnecessary or something? Well, you know, this was really our first, um, I don't know, deep dive into sort of the ins and outs of what that would even entail. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was sort of... I guess it was a multifold reason that we decided to go with self-releasing, but I think a lot of it boiled down to um, we're quite protective of what we've worked so hard to create, yeah. and um, we take a lot of pride and ownership in it. 
and to to open that up um i don't know feels like a a daunting process personally sure, sure. and you're yeah. and you're worried that like somebody else might not treat it the way you want it to be treated sure you yeah know, everybody wants yeah. to everyone wants to put a label on everything and you know as i listen to the songs and this no no label would suffice it's not going to accurately capture everything you guys are doing it's always really a tough question when friends and family and and folks that we meet ask you know oh what type of music do you make it's like i should have a better answer for this I don't know though. Point. I don't know. I if feel like should, I, ha- I feel like you know, like I want to have like a, a thirty second elevator pitch to be able to say like, well, it's this, this, and this, but it is um, so e- constantly evolving that I feel like it's tough to put my finger on sometimes. Yeah, I mean, you know, there, there, there's elements in there of you know blues and jazz and what I think we're still calling trip hop. I'm not sure if we've retitled that genre these Maybe. days. I don't know. You know, and there's funk and there's soul and there's so much going on. I I don't think it's fair. That everything needs a label. Can't something just be good music? Can we just call it that? Oh, Kudos. It's, it's 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 frustrating to me because people people say it to me because you know I mean it's it's the business we're yeah. both in. They're like oh, what kind of music yeah. is? I'm like just just listen to it. Does listen, does it matter? Yeah. Right. You know. Uh. So so since it is impossible to define the songs yeah. that you create, we're just going to leave it at that. Uh, cool. How how do you collectively create these musical experiences? It's a it's been a really fantastic experience this go round. We Ash and I the 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 we that that is ghost um it's a we don't live in the same city at this point and we didn't for um at, at any point during the the writing or recording of of these songs. So we had to get really good at um really working remotely but also distilling down our own um, sort of most critical pieces um, and really figuring out how to best convey them because um, I mean the you know the EP is called time but time is a very precious thing and neither of us had a ton of it so we had to get really good at almost we joke we've always jokingly used the term mind fi but that sometimes we had to operate with like one brain um <laughs> in two locations um and we've been friends for long enough that you know sometimes we can we can almost pull it off sure, sure. <laughs> yeah so so it was a lot of sending files back and forth and stuff like that it was a lot of sending files back and forth it was a lot of um one day let's just hammer out as much as we can mm-hmm. in um ash's lab and his and uh he and his wife's um up, you know studio in alameda and just trying to iterate and reiterate on these concepts that we'd sort of been lingering on for a while but had never really known how to articulate musically um and you know we started incorporating more uh, tools, I think, that really allowed our music to progress further. You know, we started um, getting all funky and getting a little weird, weirder than we'd gotten before. And um, a lot of the, the, the music just seemed to write itself in that, in that way. Mm-hmm. But physically, it was a lot of back and forth with emails and back and forth with sitting in our own respective um, sort of music areas and and trying to create something that felt right. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely a a significant step 
from the last EP. You know, you, you can hear you can hear the evolution. You can hear these new risks, if you will, that you're taking, and, and you know they work really well. Um, so, was there something that really you guys felt was different this time in the creative process, where you felt more free to make those decisions? We had an incredible experience working with Aki, um, our producer, um, who also is, uh, you know, one of the founders of the session here in the Bay area, who we respect so much as musicians as well. So working with Aki, I think, um, really leveled, leveled us up. We jokingly call him our fifth beetle. He's, he's, he's either the fifth beetle or the sleepy wizard. Sure, he, sure, sure. He is, he, he's got a lot of nicknames, but he has truly um, really been able to elevate the, the, the work that we were creating and take that to another level. So I think that really things up. And then we also just really, we were just really super committed to only making things that we felt were the essence of, um, our creative brains this this go around we didn't have any leeway for anything that we felt was even remotely mediocre i i i wish musicians in general would take that approach which is hey look if it's mediocre it's it's not going out i mean to me that's that's the prince approach is if it's mediocre it just goes in the vault and it should live there forever nobody will hear it yeah yeah there's value there's value in in the process of, of working through stuff but that doesn't mean that you have to put it out. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, I get it. I have written songs before and you're like, "Well, I put like 7 weeks into this, but sometimes you just got to yeah. say, well, hopefully something will come out of the next 7 weeks then." Yeah, and you know, you never know what might come back a few years later. Right. Right, you revisit it and you're like, "Oh, yeah. well maybe if we take that hook and we move it like this, it's totally new." Yeah, it's like, you know, James Cameron, right? Like the technology has to catch up to where your brain yeah, is. Right, right. <laughs> it has to be the right moment. It just has to be. It has to be the right moment. So when yeah. you guys are when you guys are creating, do you tend to start with a hook or do you guys kind of have yeah. a lyric first or where does it start? I think that the the bulk of what we have created tends to start from Ash's perspective first, which is um, generally a framework, a musical framework. Um, and then that gets handed off to me, um, sometimes with some broad ideas and broad strokes for lyrics and melody. Sometimes I have free reign to figure out whatever feels right. Um, and then we just start bouncing things back and forth. Um, also incorporating, you know, our drummer, Will Jenkins. And then when we re- reach a point that we feel things are relatively structurally concrete, then we holler at Aki and we say, Hey, <laughs> homie. hey, let's, what do you, do you, does your ear tell you anything about, about this? Yeah, and what, what are you feeling? Yeah. What are you feeling about that? And so it's usually a couple of rounds of that before we are even, you know, putting anything concrete down. Mm-hmm. And on on this uh, on these recordings, where did the trumpet come into play? Because I love it. Yeah. Oh, Ross Eustace, isn't he just the greatest? It's, it's perfect. It just it fits so. It's it's unexpected, and it just it fits. Uh yeah. He's he's truly remarkable. Like we feel really really lucky to be working with Ross. Uh, we also have Mike Shiono, you know, playing electric guitar on there. Yeah. Uh, Ross is an old friend of ours. He's an incredible 
performer and is involved with a handful of different projects, uh, you know, across the Bay Area. He, like all of us, you know, we all have, you know, usually a, a job or two in addition or, or three sometimes in addition to making music. Um, and Ross uh, works, you know, during the daytime and in the jazz scene in the Bay Area and then is constantly gigging. So he just has the most incredible chops and we'd been, you know, good friends with him and in the scene with him. And when we started to explore new uh, areas of our brains and of our music, we're just hanging out with Ross. And uh, can I lay something down on that? And sure. you just, you know, when you're when you're friends, when we're lucky to have friends who are as talented as people like Ross, um, then, then that puts a nice position, you know. Yeah, yeah, you know when the, when the trumpet kicks in uh, for the first time, it it was a little reminiscent of I think it was the last I think it was his last the last Robert Glasper record came out uh, when he was working with all the Miles Davis. Oh, uh, tr- what is it? Everything is beautiful. I think it's called. Oh yes, such a gorgeous release, and it's just kind of wow. the vibe. Um, Anytime anybody mentions Glasper, we smile. You know, and and what's frustrating, you know, he's just one of those guys. Where it's like, why do more people not talk about Robert Glasper? I mean, the stuff he does yeah. is just so magical it is so magical but it forces your brain to uh reset you know yeah absolutely because again (laughs) you can't define what he's doing there any and any time it's a little bit different but that's that's why you keep going back to that so that's why it's so tasty yeah exactly um so to quote i guess another one of my favorite bay area groups so this is an ep release um do you prefer working in the ep form as opposed to lps that's a great question. I don't, I think that this process has been, um, I really enjoyed the process personally. I, I speak for Ash and I can't speak for, you know, the rest of the gang, but I think that this EP process has been, um, the right, uh, I guess kind of si- the right size plate for us. The, the quantity of music on it, um, has allowed us to really focus on quality. Um, and that's, what's most important to us. I would say that the EP format's been been kind thus far. I mean, we're just at the, we just feel like it's it's brand new. It's our brand new baby, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's it. You know, a lot of people feel the need to fill out like, you know, an hour's worth of music. I'd, I'd rather just have that yeah. condensed. Just give me, yeah. a, give me a great set and just move right. on. Right. And then you don't, I don't know, for, for me, then you don't feel as um, the scope of it can be overwhelming uh in any sense right and so yeah if you're just really hammering in on on really like the jewels the nuggets the gems i don't know i think that's the right way to go at least for us so the bay area music scene has (laughs) i mean i just the bay area music scene to me on so many levels just doesn't get the credit it deserves these days um So for every, I agree with that. For everyone who's that. who's not familiar with the Bay Area music yeah, scene, yeah. what's going on there these days? Man, there is such a, a scope of cool stuff. Um, just I feel like the Bay Area is just punk rock in that like nobody's getting too hung up on what what label <laughs> we, <laughs> we 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 operate under, um, what banners. It's just very collaborative. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the proximity that we all have to one another, um, really forces you to open your ears, you know, if you, because we're oftentimes kind of playing fairly unique types of music, um, or rather music that you don't necessarily hear, 
um, on the radio. Um, I don't know. I feel like we get a really rare co-mingling, co-mixing of different genres. People are just really willing to make music that feels right to them. Um, and because a lot of it is done without, you know, major corporate influence or the influence of a ton of money. I mean, a, a lot of a lot of people are shoestringing it. A lot of sure. Bay Area musicians. I mean, if I think about it, most musicians that I know, I've been making music in the Bay since I got to Berkeley when I was 18. Everybody has a few hustles. Um, sometimes that's a nine to five corporate quote unquote gig. Sometimes that's five different side gigs. Um, but we all do this in order to be able to produce the art that I think keeps us sane. Cause it's a, it's a kind of a heavy sometimes place to operate. There can be some, some tension here. Um, and a lot of people that live here have seen a lot of stuff. So they have a lot to say musically and they have a lot to express. But I think that creates some um, really passionate work as well. Yeah, I, to- I totally agree. You know, I- I've always said that I don't want music made by well-adjusted people because <laughs> it's boring. <laughs> well, then great. No wonder you like, you that. know, like it, that, that's I mean, look at look at all the great musicians. None of them were just, none of them are normal. And that that's why they're no. brilliant. No, we're not. We're yeah, we're yeah. kind of. We're, we're unique, you know? Yeah, you know, the other day my wife was telling me, she's like, oh, you know, a friend of ours, you know, she's got a new boyfriend. He's a drummer. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> she said, why? I was like, drummers are a very unique blend of human. Like, anyone who's been in a band knows, yeah, our drummer's a little bit weird, even for being in a band. I feel like it's, it's, it's like so funny because if I think back, there's like been a point where that phrase has been uttered about like every person in the band right it's like <laughs> oh you know horn players though like yeah, oh right? you you know you know guys on the keys though like oh lead singers yeah we're really lucky to have um to have will on the drums just just like methodically just like slaying things like yeah. man we're, we're and just being uh, uh, uh not crazy and not crazy, but lovely, lovely person. So that's great. It's a great side note. So, so what was the initial bond or the initial draw that that brought you guys together collectively? Yeah, well, um, so we have a uh, space that we've been in in Jack London Square uh, for a long, long time now. What well, feels like ages, but you know, it's probably like closer to seven or eight years um but we've been in and will was actually um subletting uh the room from ash Mm -hmm. um and we were looking for somebody who was going to be able to execute on a lot of the things you know that we had recorded on this new album were aki manipulating uh live drums so many of the things had not had only been, you know, uh, taken place in studio. Yeah. So we needed to find somebody who could recreate these things, which meant that not only did they have to be an, you know, an exceptional drummer, they also had to have a really like comprehensive understanding of the electronic and, you know, programming components of executing something like this, Sure. which that's a rare breed to find. Um, will happen to be, um, just like, renting the space in the space and when we approached him 
we thought like, okay, this guy's like, this guy's really good. I don't know if, you know, we're probably gonna, he's gonna have to be a hired gun, right? <laughs> but we were like, so I uh, said he, it kind of felt like asking somebody like, do you want to be my friend? Like, yeah. yes, no, maybe, you know? It's like, Will's really cool. He's really talented. Like, do you think he wants to be in our band? Like, let <laughs> us know if you do. And he did. So we feel so lucky because it's like, oh, he chose us. He wants to be in our band. Right. And, yeah. And, and before it was three, how did it become two? Before it was three, how did it become two? You know, I was in a group that was um, singing down the hallway, actually. The the space that we are in, Jack London Studios, yeah. has a ton of different little suites and I was helping out a, a dear friend of mine, Jeremy Sullivan, who makes music uh, as parents. And he's, he's just fantastic as well. Um, I was singing with him for a bit. And Ash happened to hear me across the hallway. Um, what I didn't know was that their singer was on her way to, to move to L.A. And that they were on the lookout for somebody. Or he was on the lookout to for someone to to front the music that he'd been writing mm -hmm. um and sing alongside him as well he approached me and asked if i wanted to sing thriller okay. at a halloween show <laughs> he was like hey so uh, you know i'm ash um you know, I, you know you're across the hallway i've you know i've heard you I really like the way you sing is there any chance that you would be interested in singing thriller on halloween and like listen come on that's who's gonna say no to that right um okay uh absolutely like how do i sign up for that and i joke that like i sang that gig and then i just never left um <laughs> but i didn't realize that they were looking for a singer i just thought it was a like a one-off gig sure and sure I you want to do like, this just one time cool. it'll be fun yeah like ash pulls together all these you know different musicians like that's his bag he's this cool guy he's this multi-instrumentalist like Oh, cool. Yeah, I'll sing this one time for him. And maybe that'll be like a new cool musical friendship. Uh -huh. I didn't realize that he was like, yo, <laughs> you're in the I, band. I, you're in the band. So so I, I feel like I lucked out. Yeah, that's, that, that's really cool. Uh, one thing you can't skip on this record is there's millions of songs in history and you chose a very specific cover on the EP. Yeah. Why that song? Not, not that, you know, like, you don't need yeah. to justify Bobby Womack. I mean, you know. Right. right. I think that, um, you know, we're both actually really, Ash and I are both really huge fans of Damon Albarn. Uh -huh. um, and uh, we really both connected with the project that he did with Bobby. Um, okay. And that we, you know, we were trying to vet different songs uh, you know, we want, we knew we wanted to potentially cover something. We oftentimes will do a cover, but a lot of the times it's a cover that most of the people in the audience don't know, but sure. that's okay with us because we, we're just excited to be singing it. Right. Um, but when we listened and re-listened to this particular track, the, the words that Bobby had to share, um, of his, sorrow his um desire for redemption um those were things that we both really connected with um and i think that are just sort of present themes throughout the music that both of us make i think we're both uh we're, we're you know we can we're we're, we're good at putting on a, a good a good face but i think we both wrestle with um some larger troubles mm -hmm. and 
we were able to really connect with Bobby specifically. And I, and I, I, I hope I do. I hope I do him just like a shred of justice because what he's able to convey musically is um, really unique. I don't think it's enough credit. Oh, I completely um, I, agree. Oh, he gets credit, but I just, I just, I feel like it's, it could never be enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree that when they talk about like, you know, the, the greatest singers, you know, most soulful, soulful, all that he's yeah. just, he's, he's not up there enough no, in many ways. Not enough. Not enough. Yeah. yeah I mean, the, um, the emotion that that man is able to convey, um, is so multidimensional um, in, in, in just a, these brief blips of time. So we, we thought that that would be appropriate, hopefully, um, and would hopefully fall in line and that we would find a way to, you know, lay our own, our own flavor on it, but still remain true to, or, or hopefully to, to, to what the original was trying to convey. Yeah, and I, and I actually I think you just nailed the link between uh, the rest of the EP, which is just that it's you know this multi-dimensional emotional thing in a very limited you know space of time, and it and it just works so well. It just uh, mm. it's just it's just a great vibe, and uh, yeah, I really dig it, and it is it is a reason I definitely need to get out to the West Coast aside from the weather. Uh, oh, you know, we 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 joked. We were like, okay, well, if timing works out, hopefully. People will like be able to bump this driving along the coast. Right. <laughs> yeah, at one point, I just I was when I was listening, I was like, yeah, this is you know, this is kind of like you know, when I was listening to like the G when the G funk first showed up in the early nineties, <laughs> and Dre I was like, this is California. It's just making me have that same cool summery vibe. It's just it's so <sighs> good. Which, which is, I'm, I'm so glad to hear you say that because a lot of the the creation of this, we were like, it was like the dead of winter, which for us, you know, granted, as Californians, that's all sure. 45 degrees. But for us, us little babies out here, it's like, oh, yeah. we, we are in the dead of winter, the hour of our discontent, right? I'm I got nothing to My thanks again for Kia for making some time to chat with me. The new EP, it's called Time, is so, so cool. Find out more about them via their Instagram, which is ghost underscore and the city. Now, before we wrap the episode, I do, of course, have your ear fuel listening assignment. For everyone new to the podcast, each episode, I assign an album to listen to in full, beginning to end, without any distractions or interruptions. It stems from the fact that these days, music has been largely relegated to a background task. You're at the gym, you're at work, you're driving, you're just, you're doing other things. And this assignment is about taking time each week to consciously listen to music for the sake of music alone. This week, well, I'll be honest, I actually had another record set to assign, but because we discussed it in the interview, and it's an incredible record, your assignment is Robert Glasper's 2016 album, Everything's Beautiful. I reviewed this record in detail way back on episode 23, but it's an essential enough release that it is worth revisiting again right now and revisiting it again later and again and again and again. This is, without question, one of my favorite releases of the past five or six years. 
Now, what these songs are, are sort of reimaginings of the work of Miles Davis. But don't let the idea of a jazz luminary get in your way, because this record has the funk and groove like you won't believe. Appearances by Erica Badu, Hiatus Coyote, Stevie Wonder, John Schofield, so many others. This is an all-star set to say the least. What happened here was Robert Glasper had complete access to the Miles Davis multi-track tapes. So he was able to isolate single instruments or riffs or even studio chatter and build new musical works around them. It's it's almost like he's jamming with Miles and his band, but from 30 years in the future. I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird, but it's really neat. The keys here, the drums, these rhythms, the grooves. I mean, this is about as chilled out a record as I've heard in the last decade, but it's really about how this album just oozes coolness that sets us apart from the rest. In my initial review, I mentioned that the word that kept coming into my head listening to this record was cool, and even two years later, that is still absolutely true. This is just a cool album. The vocals, I mean, the melodies, oh, the melodies are so good. The, I mean, you know, the album title, Everything is Beautiful, is perfectly fitting, as in this musical universe that Robert Glasper creates, everything really is beautiful. What, what else can I tell you? You know, I can't say enough about the mood here. It surrounds you and you can kind of feel the lights dim and some smoke in the air. The record is a very visceral experience. And this is the sort of record you can just let sit and kind of simmer. It's, it's a really captivating and just wonderful musical journey from beginning to end that I really believe everyone will enjoy. Seriously. So regardless of what sort of music you're into, the sonic landscapes that Glasper creates will have you hooked in no time. This is really an album for everyone, and there are a few records from the past decade I've enjoyed as much as Everything's Beautiful. So if you're not familiar with this work of gorgeous genius, gorgeous genius, you need to change that right now. Thank me later. So that's all for this week. As always, the podcast is available in all of the podcasting places you might use, as well as at GetEarFuel.com, and you can find me on Twitter under at GetEarFuel and at The Daily Guru. That's all for this edition of EarFuel. Share and enjoy.